The following audio is from Harvest Fellowship. For more information about Harvest Fellowship, visit harvestabq.org. We are leaving this afternoon for Columbus for Fine Arts. If you don't know anything about Fine Arts, it's a program that our denomination has that um, it helps our students to discover uh, the gifts that God has placed inside of them. It gives them a place, like you just saw, to uh, work on those gifts and to use them for the glory of the Lord. And so uh, we have 16 students that are going to Columbus in 17 different categories. Uh, and I just want to brag on them because this week they'll be doing short sermons. They'll be presenting their photography. They'll be doing kids lesson and drama and worship team and sign language like you just saw, and children's literature, and visual art, and mini saga. I mean, tell me our kids are not amazingly talented, right? Just incredible, incredible. I can't wait. It's always a fun week. Uh, So we'll be gone uh, all this week. We'll be back next weekend. Uh, We'll tell you all about it. It's going to be so much fun. I know some of this has already been announced, but I am so excited that I just have to tell you a a little bit about some things that are coming up. Uh, Open House is coming up on the 18th, and uh, uh, you're going to hear about it a lot until then. But if you're like new to the church, you're checking it out, you're thinking maybe this is a place I want to, might be, want to be involved in, this is the place to go. The idea is like a real, uh, like if you're selling your house, you got a realtor, they said, let's, let's do an open house, let people come in and kind of see, so they can imagine, could I live in this house? And that's kind of what we want to do for you as a church, is open all the doors and, and let you come in and figure out, like, is this the place that I want to live uh, in my, my spiritual life? Is this going to be my family? And if it is, I got to know where the kitchen is, right? And I got to see where my kids are going to be, all those sorts of things. And so that's coming up uh, on the 18th. I'm super excited uh, for family reunion on the 20th. Uh, wh- where this really came from is Lisa and I were talking one Sunday after church, and we were like, there are so many new families that have come to the church during the summer. And, uh, and I, I made the comment, I said, you know, we have new families that have come, and some of our regular families have been out on vacation, and so they haven't even met yet. And, and I'm like, I want all my friends to meet each other, right? And so we we're like, Let's do a family reunion. So here's the deal, all right? Uh, The 20th, this is the idea. Is school's back in session, vacations are done. You have nowhere better to be, all right? So just mark it on your calendar. I don't want to hear that you went fishing that day. I don't want to hear that you did anything else that day. It's gonna, we're all coming back to church. We're gonna have such a good time uh, on the 20th. I also want to tell you about a series uh, that's coming up uh, that I'm very, very excited about. About two years ago, uh, we did a series that uh, the topic was on mental health, and uh, it was titled Out of the Cave. Does anyone else, anyone remember Out of the Cave? Um, to this day, probably the most impactful series that I've ever preached in, in our entire ministry. Um, we've actually sent it out to probably a dozen churches across the state that have used uh, some of what we did to do it in their own places, and it's just so impactful, and so we wanted to come back to it, and so the end of August, we're kicking off, uh, it'll be new, it'll be new stuff, it's not going to be the same series, so this, this time we're calling it out of the cave now what all right and so the idea is you come out of that cave uh and now what where do i go from here we want to give you uh, a hope for for your future and equip you with some tools and and by the way um you'll many of you will remember him our guys heard from him at men's conference but my friend peter pignon he's actually my counselor uh he'll be here september the third he's going to jump in and help us uh with that series you're you're not going to want to miss that week i know it's labor 
Day uh, weekend, but don't miss that weekend. Uh, and then um, you're going to start hearing about this more and more. Uh, this will be our second year, but on Saturday, September 9th, uh, we're doing something called Run for the Light. Uh, and so this is me telling you to get it, get going, all right? You need to start training for Run for the Light. We do a one-mile fun run for the kids. We do a 5K for everyone else. And uh, really, it's a fundraiser to raise money for missions. And I'm super excited. Uh, we have two uh, donors who've uh, come on board this year uh, with matching donations up to $125,000, all right? And I know this is ambitious, but uh, I've got three churches uh, besides ours that have come on with us. There will be simultaneous events happening that day in Roswell, in Albuquerque, and in Farmington. And collectively, if we can raise $125,000, it turns into $250,000. It'll go to Feed One, to Feed Kids. It'll go to World Serve to dig water wells and places that don't have access to clean drinking water. And all of that is around the gospel message, getting out the hope, the salvation that can only come through Jesus. And so uh, I don't know about you, but I think that's worth getting out and running a 5K and asking my friends to sponsor me to help make that happen. And so that's coming up. Is anyone excited about that? Anyone excited about that? All right. It's going to be so much fun. You'll hear more about it. We'll tell you how to sign up, all of that. Um, So a lot of good things happening, right? A lot of good things. Are you excited? All right. So you ready for the message now? That was all. I just had to tell you. I just, I'm like oozing with excitement with all of these things that are happening. So if you've been with us this summer, we've been in a series about all things family, and uh, we're kind of coming to a close in that series. We're getting ready for some new things, and, and as I was getting ready for this message, this is the phrase that I just kept coming back to, and maybe you've heard it. How many, I asked my kids this, by the way, I asked them last night at, at dinner, and my kids had not heard this, so I guess it's showing my age a little bit, but how many have heard this phrase, keeping up with the Joneses? Has anyone heard that phrase, keeping up? With the Joneses, it's it, it's a phrase that that sometimes is used as an idiom to uh, to draw comparison to your neighbor as a benchmark for either social class or achievement or the accumulation of material goods. So we do things like this: we compare our, the car that we drive, or the home we live in, the clothes we wear, or whatever it might be. We we draw a comparison, and if we feel like we're not keeping up with wherever culture is going with that. We use this phrase, we say, well, it's hard to keep up with the Joneses, or I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses. And, and early on, really, in this, in this series, I began to kind of think about this phrase. I just kind of wrote it down in, in a, a journal that I use as I'm working through a series. And, and, and I really felt as we came to the end of this series that I needed to develop a message around this idea, keeping up with the Joneses around the idea of comparing your family and what you have and who you're married to and who your kids are and what house you live in and all that stuff to someone else. I don't know if you know this, but this is what we're going to talk about today, that comparison is so, so dangerous. So I just felt the Lord bringing me back to this phrase, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And what I really sense that the Lord is wanting to help us with is to learn to be content in the family that he has placed us. 
So we're going to take a minute like we do every Sunday. We're going to just pause. We're going to, we're going to pray. I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer where we just position our hearts to hear what God has for you. For you. I mean, I think every Sunday he has a word that's for all of us. But I also think that the Holy Spirit knows exactly where you are and what you're dealing with and what you're thinking about. And he knows how to talk to you individually. And what really helps us is this moment where we just pause and we ask the Holy Spirit to talk to us. So how many of you will pray that prayer? Are you ready for it? All right, let's pray. So Father, thank you for your word. We believe it's powerful. Lord, we open our hearts to your word and to you, to you, the Holy Spirit today. We're asking that while you talk to all of us across this room and online, to those tuning in, that you would talk to us individually today. Do what you want to do. We just give you room today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I went for a run the other day. I was about three miles in, and my legs were kind of starting to feel it, and, and I came around a corner, and as I did, there was a pack of young men that were running towards me, and uh, they, uh, none of them had their shirts on. They were showing off their abs. They were kind of, they weren't sweating. They were glistening, um, you know, and uh, they weren't breathing hard at all. They were moving very, very fast. They they looked like a pack of gazelles in, in Africa, just bounding across, you know, the desert of New Mexico. And I saw them coming towards me. And so what did I do? I pretended like I wasn't hurting at all. Um, I smiled and I picked up my pace. I channeled my own inner gazelle, you know, put a little extra spring in my step. And I just kind of, and I went by and I smiled and, and just pretended like you young bucks have no idea. You know, I, I, I could do this all day. I could do this all day. Y'all have no idea what's going on. As soon as I passed them, I just oh, gasped for air, you know, kind of wiped the sweat off of my head. And, and, and I started to kind of feel bad about myself. I, I thought about how fast I used to be, how far I used to be able to go, and um, how there was a day when I had abs, you know. They weren't hidden under this, you know. And, and, and I was starting to feel a little bit bad about myself, but then the Lord gave me a gift. He gave me a gift. Because I rounded another corner, and when I rounded this corner, there was an elderly lady, and she was, we'll call it running, but it was shuffling. She was shuffling, and she had a little backpack on with a little water thing coming around, and she had her, her like, running socks on. She was, you could tell she's a, a runner, and she was kind of shuffling, and so what did I do? I pretended like I wasn't hurting, and I smiled, and I, I channeled my inner gazelle, and I just kind of bounded past her, you know, and I felt really good, really, really good about myself in that moment, passing this old lady who was shuffling along. Isn't this how comparison works, right? I mean, I mean, on one hand, I mean, literally these experiences were moments apart. One made me just get all in my head and feel terrible about myself. The other made me feel really good and inflated about myself. And this illustrates the danger of comparison. What I want to help you with today is just a simple idea that comparison will destroy your family. In fact, comparison is a trap. 
And I'm really excited because today you don't get just to see one of our fine arts presentations, but you get to see two of them because our youngest daughter, Eden, wrote a short sermon this year on this topic of comparison. And so as I was developing the, my sermon, I thought, man, I should use some of what Eden wrote. And then I, sh- I thought, I should just have Eden come and help me preach this. Would you like to hear from Eden today? That'd be cool, right? All right. So Eden, grab that mic, come on up here and talk to us uh, about comparison and and just come give us your short sermon. All right, welcome Eden one more time. Let's play a quick game of Would You Rather. As fast as you can, yell at your answers. Would you rather carry a flip phone or use a desktop computer? Great job. Would you rather read an e-book or a physical book? Would you rather can be a fun game. It's a game of comparison, but comparison in real life isn't a game at all. I've struggled with comparison for most of my life. I have a sister who's only 18 months older than me, so I've compared myself to her my whole life. I've always thought I should be as good as her in everything, basketball, track, school, even preaching. It is so hard not to compare yourself to others. There's an example of this in the Bible in Genesis 25 with two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Like me, Jacob was the youngest, and he compared himself to his brother. Their dad, Isaac, wanted to give Esau the blessing, but Jacob learned about the plan and decided to trick his father into giving him the blessing instead. Because Esau was very hairy, he put on Esau's clothes and goatskin to imitate his brother. Isaac was deceived and gave Jacob his blessing. This is what happens with comparison. Jacob tried to change to be more like Esau. He wore different clothes and even covered his own skin with that of an animal. Sounds strange, right? Until we realize it's not that different from what we do today. We buy the same clothes as a friend or shop at the same stores just to be on trend. We change things on the outside and attempt to fit in. Bill Gates says, don't compare yourself to anyone in this world. If you do so, you are insulting yourself. But I would add, you are insulting God because when God created you, he made sure you were like nobody else. So why do we fall into this comparison trap so easily? Let's go back to Jacob and Esau for a moment. There is a verse that sheds a lot of light on this for us. Genesis 25, 27 says, The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay home among the tents. Everyone say content. Jacob and Esau were very different, but we see that Jacob was content. We don't know a lot between what happens on this part of the story and the part where Jacob pretends to be his brother. But I can promise you one thing. His heart became discontent. This is the problem with comparison. It robs us from a life of contentment and leads us to some dangerous places. Allow me to show you. First, comparison distracts. I'll be honest, this seems innocent. We begin to look around and realize we wish we had something someone else had. We wish we looked like someone else. We wish we had someone else's life. And at first, this isn't that big of a deal. We are living our lives but slowly we are becoming more and more distracted. It looks like this. God created us to be right here, but we want to go over there. We are distracted, so we go over there. The problem is when we get here, there is now the, is the new here. And now that we're here, there's another there and there. We are constantly chasing another there. When you're busy chasing, you know what you're not busy doing? Being who God created you to be. Distraction is the enemy of destiny, and few things take our eyes off this, like comparing ourselves to others. 
If we're too busy comparing our lives to others' lives, we'll miss out on the good plans God has for us. But you need to know this. Distraction is not the enemy's endgame. Because next, number two, comparison destroys. Comparison will quickly move from distraction to destruction. In the fourth chapter of the Bible, we see another sibling group. Two more brothers, Cain and Abel. And again, there is comparison. This is the first record of the Bible of a sibling rivalry. The first comparison, the first death, and in fact, the first murder. Comparison won't only distract you. Eventually, it will lead you to places you never dreamed of going. Ultimately, comparison will destroy you. So, how do we defeat comparison? Remember that word I had you say earlier, contentment? Comparison will crush your contentment. But that also means the opposite is true. Contentment will crush comparison. Content people don't have time to compare. They're content with what they have, what they do, and who they are. Philippians 4.11 says, I am not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I hope you didn't miss the power in that verse. Paul says, I have learned to be content. This is great news. Contentment can be learned. So, one last would you rather. Would you rather be discontent, distracted, and ultimately destroyed by our enemy? Or would you rather be content, confident, and without comparison? <laughs> Was that helpful? Man, I'll say it again. Our students are so, so incredibly gifted, so talented. Comparison is super, super dangerous. Comparison will lead us to envy, and you need to know that ultimately this will kill your soul. Uh, Eden mentioned this in her short sermon, but in Genesis, envy caused Cain to murder his brother. In the book of Exodus, we get a list of the 10 commandments, and the 10th commandment talks about this. Exodus 20, verse 17, you shall, shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. The funny thing, about this verse to me is that this was over 3,000 years ago, and way back then, coveting was an issue. Uh, they didn't drive cars and trucks like us today, so they coveted one another's donkeys, right? They didn't have big brick, stucco, wooden, you know, built houses. They had thatched roof, you know, mud huts, and, and still, it was like, well, his mud hut's a little bit bigger than my mud hut, right? And so God gives us these 10 commandments because he knows that if we start going down this road where we develop envy and, and we compare to the Joneses and we think, I wish I had what they had, that it will literally destroy our souls. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 30 says this, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Romans talks about how serious this is in Romans chapter 1 verse 29. They've been filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. And here's the list. They are full of, it starts with envy. And then it goes quickly to murder, right? Often we don't think of those two things in the same category. But Genesis illustrates it in Cain and Abel. And here Romans talks about this list of, of 
evil things. Start, it starts with envy and then murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. And we're all, as that list is going, we're all, mm, yeah, mm, those murderers, look at all them. And then it throws in one, it kind of sneaks it in the list, and envy. <laughs> We've got to be so careful. James chapter 4, verse 1 and 2 says this, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. First Corinthians takes a little bit of a different tactic to teach us the same thing in chapter 13 and the love chapter. And it says this in verse 4. It says love is patient, love is kind, and then it throws this in. It does not envy. First Peter 2 verse 1 instructs us, instructs us, therefore rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Here's what I want you to know about keeping up with the Joneses is that when it comes to comparison, whether you win or you lose, you always lose. <laughs> Here's what I mean. When you play the comparison game in your head, if you compare yourself to someone and in your head you win because what you have is a little bit better, you still lose. If you play the comparison game and in your head you lose because what they have is a little bit better, you still lose. Either way you you still lose. Here's what we do is we either compare our weakness to someone else's strength and we get depressed because <laughs> ours isn't as good as theirs. Or we compare our strength to their weakness and we become arrogant. And in either case, we lose. One person prayed this prayer. They said, Lord, if I can't be thin, can my friends be fat? <laughs> When you compare, you always lose. The easiest place to calculate comparison has to do with the accumulation of our stuff. It's just the easiest place to see it. It's the easiest place to, to, to calculate and, and to verify who has more, who has the newest, who has the biggest. And, and I thought of this question this week. I thought, when will we realize, when will we learn that net worth does not equal self-worth? <laughs> You see, when we learn, like Paul talked about, to be content in any and all situations, we learn that we can be content no matter where we are or what we have, and that our self-worth does not come from our net worth. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10 says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. There was an interesting study that asked this question, how much money would you have to have to live the American dream? They uh, interviewed people at different income brackets. For those that were earning approximately 25000 or less, their answer came back at about fifty-four. 
$54,000. That was their answer. Take about $54,000 to live the American dream. For families that were making $100,000, their answer was, well, it'd take about $192,000 to live the American dream. And they continued this study. And here was the conclusion was no matter how much you made to live the American dream, you need roughly twice whatever you're currently making to live the American dream. Isn't it interesting how our modern studies are backing up what Scripture has been teaching all along? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 4 and 5 says, Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance towards riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off like an eagle. Have you ever had some things fly away from you, and you're like, wow, that was expensive, right? So how do we live a different way? How do we live a different way? How do we not get caught up in this game of trying to keep up with the Joneses? I, I want to give you a couple of practical answers, and then we're going to end with a spiritual answer, because after all, you came to church, right? So I want to equip you in both, in both ways. How do we live a different way? Here's the first one. Here's where we're going to get practical. Number one, scroll less. Scroll less, all right? I got to talk to you for just a minute about social media. I want to be careful. I don't want to get on a a soapbox, but I I do believe that one of the social factors that attributes to our collective desire to keep up with the Joneses is the introduction of social media in our culture. There's so many different platforms available for you now to share your life with whoever wants to see it. All right. I don't know which one or ones you're on or what you like or you don't like. Um, my whole, uh, my, all of our girls uh, have uh, 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 one right now called Be Real. And we have a rule in our house that if one of our girls is going to have social media, then one of us has to have it as well. And since I don't have any, then that falls to Lisa. And that's, so she, she uses social media to keep up with our, where our girls are. And so actually our girls don't have social media except for Be Real. And that was the rule. She said, if y'all want to be on it, I'm going to be on it. So they agreed. And so she got to be real and they all got to be real. And so I don't know if you know how this works, but like at some random time through the day, be real sends out of a notification and it tells everyone to be real, which I think is hilarious, right? It's time for to post your be real. And so we'll be wherever we are. And all of a sudden, ding, 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 all their phones go off. Mine doesn't go off. They're off. Theirs all go off. I feel left out. And all of a sudden they're posing and they're, pic- they're taking their pictures and it takes a picture this way and that way. So you can see what, who, what, they, what they're doing right then and what their perspective is. And so they all post their little pictures. And so I feel left out. And so I get my phone out and I just take a selfie and I text it in a group text. I'm like, here's my be real, you know. And I always tease them. I'm like, why do you need a, why do you need a reminder to be real? I'm real all the time. That's what I always tell them, you know. I'm like, I don't need a reminder to be real. I'm just, I'm, I'm always real, you know. I, I don't know what what platform you like or you don't like. I, I'm not for or against any one of them. I, I definitely, when it comes to parenting, have some strong feelings and, and, and I can help you in that area if you'd like to talk about it, uh, specifically when it comes to your parenting. But here, here's the general idea that I want you to think about. 
about is that when it comes to this comparison game, that if you'll scroll less, I promise you it will help you in not feeling the pressure to keep up with the Joneses. You've got to be aware that whatever platform you are looking at, you are seeing someone else's highlight reel, all right? When you're looking at whatever they're posting, you're seeing the perfect meal, right? You didn't see the six times they burnt the chicken. You only see the one time they got it right, right? You're seeing the staged family photo, right? Everyone's wearing matching, you know, clothes and everyone's smiling. You didn't see that three minutes before they were spanking their kid, right? You didn't see that siblings were fighting. You, didn't, you don't see all You just see the perfect. And you look at it and you think, boy, I wish my family was perfect like their family. And here's what I'm telling you is it's not real, <laughs> You're looking at a moment, a a, a brief moment in time that looks perfect, but it's not perfect, I promise you. You're looking at a highlight reel. You're looking at the best vacation they've ever been on, right? No, no matter that they staged it in Walmart in the you know hula department, and they're we're here in Hawaii. No, you're not, you're in Walmart, right? You're you're looking at something that gives you the illusion that they have it all together, the Joneses. And you wonder, why can't my family be like that? Have you ever noticed that, that virtually no one ever posts on the bad days, right? Virtually no one's like, well, just had a fight with my wife, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it provides an illusion. And so scrolling less, just literally limiting the amount of time that you're scrolling through, looking at it, will increase, I'm going to show you, it'll increase your happiness and it will keep you from the trap of comparison. There was a fascinating study uh, where they, they studied social media and its impact on our culture and specifically on our emotions. And what they came back with was that 67% of people across all platforms of social media report feeling sad after interacting with social media. That's pretty interesting, right? 67% but we keep going back to it, right? And so uh, they, they wanted to know, well, what about the other 33%? And so as they investigated the 33%, they started asking questions about how do you use your device, which programs, which apps make you feel happy, which make you feel sad. And, and here's what's interesting is the top things that made someone feel happy was when they got a text message, which by the way, is an, is a message from a real human, right? There's a real human at the other end sending you a message. How is your day? Just checking on you. I'm praying for you, friend. Do you want to go grab a coffee, right? In other words, that particular one is tied to a real relationship with another human being. They also found signs of happiness in receiving an email, which often also, unless you're getting spammed by whatever store you shopped at, also comes from another human. And I know you won't even believe your phone does this, but people reported happiness when they got a phone call. Did you know your phone did that? When they got a phone call. In other words, someone else was on the other end of that, and it was like, hello, how are you? Oh, my goodness, you're a human. I'm doing great. Let's go eat some barbecue, right? And they felt happy. They felt happy in that moment. And what the study ended up concluding is that the more scrolling through random people's lives, the less happy they felt, the more person-to-person contact through calls and texts and emails, the higher 
the percentage of happiness. And so, I don't know what platform you're on, and you probably don't even like what I'm telling you, but I promise you, scrolling less will help you avoid the trap of comparison. Here's the second thing. We'll get practical. So, scroll less. Number two, community more. <laughs> community more. I, I'm just, I make up words sometimes. Community more. You were made to live life in community. It's part of your design. When God created mankind, he knew that we were wired. He wired us. He hardwired you to want to be in community. As soon as God created Adam uh, in Genesis, he looked at Adam. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And from that moment on, I'm just telling you, you and I were created to be in community. What happens with the comparison game when you live in community is that it grounds you and it keeps your heart from drifting towards comparison. I love this passage in the book of Acts that talks about the early church. Acts chapter 2. Listen to the, the description of the early church. It says this in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together. They, they kept coming together. They were interacting together. They were eating together. They were praying together, it says. And they came together. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad, sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And what's interesting is when this is what the church looked like, it says this, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In other words, it was attractive because people want to be part of that type of community. And I'm telling you, if we'll do better at living in community and not isolating ourselves and, and, and being open and honest and making friends and inviting one another to do life together. That's, that's the phrase Lisa and I like to use. We want to do life with you. If you'll do that, it will help you. It'll ground your heart and it fights. I'm telling you, it fights the comparison trap. This is why we say every week at the end of service, I'll, I'll do the, this blessing that comes out of scripture. You know, I'll say, hey, as you're leaving, you know, may the Lord shine upon you grace now and forever. You know, I'll do that whole thing. And then I say this at the end. I added this. It's not in the scripture. I say, harvest, go be the church. Because this is foundational to what we believe, that you don't just go to church, you are the church. <laughs> and this is what we see in Acts chapter 2, is yes, they went to the temple to worship, but they were living out the gospel every single day. So on a practical level, here's how it helps you. Maybe you didn't have a great example of what it looks like to be married. Well, if you live in community, you can get some couples around you who are healthy in this way. And now you can learn what it looks like to be married in a God-honoring, uh, uh, in, a, in a beautiful, in a scriptural way. Maybe you weren't raised by the best parents and you're like having kids now and you're like, I don't even know how to be 
be a parent. This is the beauty of living in community is now you get to get some other people around you. You get to learn, you know, like in our lives, we, we have people who, who their kids are a little bit older and we have some, kid, some friends that their kids are even a little older than that. So when we started entering like the college years, we're calling friends going, we've never been here. We don't know how to do this. How do you do this, right? When, when the kids were, were babies and started to become toddlers, we started calling friends, we don't know how to do this. What do you do with a toddler, right? And man, when they became teenagers, I mean, we were calling anybody and everybody. We're like, what do you do with a teenager? Unfortunately, nobody knew, nobody. We couldn't, we couldn't find anybody. This is the beauty of living in community, so my advice is simply this, live more in real life than living through someone else's life through scrolling and then live in community. Get some, get some other people around you. Get some people around you and live, live in community. Community more. Here's the third thing is uh, complain less. Complain less. Comparison even helped us with this. It, it leads to discontent. And then we get discontent. We start to complain. I, I'll tell you another running story. I, I'm running a lot because I'm getting ready for run for the light. I'm so excited. So I've been running a lot more. I was out for a, a run the other day. And when I run, my shoe of choice is the Hoka. Okay. It's a brand. I love it. I, I had plantar fasciitis forever and I couldn't run. And finally, Hoka's, um, Jesus and Hoka's changed my life. I'm just telling you, I got to run again. And so I, I have a pair of Hoka's. That's what I run in and, and I love them. Um, but they are the old model. They're the Clifton 8s, okay? And shortly after I got them, they released the Clifton 9s, okay? How many of you know when the new model comes out, you automatically think, I should probably, I need that, right? It's not want, it's need, right? Anyone else feel that, right? And so the Clifton 9s came out, but I've been resisting the urge, and mine are white, and so I like them, but they're just kind of, they're white, they're just kind of plain, they're not like jazzy or anything. And so the other day, I'm out on a run, and I, and I passed this guy and I noticed his hokas and I noticed they were the nines and I noticed they were more colorful than mine and all of a sudden, I mean just it happened so, so fast I'm just, I'm, I'm just thinking I should order, I, I need new shoes my shoes aren't any good, I would be faster in new shoes, do you remember do you remember, do you remember as kids do y'all remember this, do you remember, I literally remember being in the store, putting a new shoe on and running down the I don't go, mom, I'm faster. I, those, those, I have to have those. I don't think I've grown out of that. <laughs> I, I still think that if I got the newest version that I would be faster, I would last longer, I would be stronger. And for sure, when I came back in the house after running, that Lisa would think I was more attractive. I mean, I'm just telling you, like, that's what happens, right? When we play this comparison game and I started in my, it was just in my, it was internal, it was just in my head. I started complaining to myself about my old Clifton 8s. <laughs> I started just complaining. And what happens when you complain is it begins to sour your outlook, not just on the thing you're complaining about, but on really everything. It shifts your perspective. And so I just want to ask you today to complain a little bit 
less. <laughs> Complain a little bit less. And I'll be honest with you, and you probably know it from my stories. This is hard for me. This is hard for me. This, this is really hard. The other day, I was, I was in the store. Uh, Ava and I were out running some errands. I remember I, literally, I said, I'm pulling into Walmart. And I said, I said Ava, I, just, I literally need one thing. We have to mail a package, but I need a box. So all, one, it's a box. It's, it's 68 cents. And I went in. I went right to where they had them. I, got, I found the box. It was 68 cents. I went back to the front, and y'all, it was obnoxious. I mean, there were like not nearly enough lines open. The, all the lines were like, it was all backed out. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm in such a bad mood. Does anyone else get in a bad mood with long lines at stores? Anyone else? Just me? It's okay. All right. So I'm in a bad mood, and I'm literally, I'm, I'm like, I'm, oh, I'm just complaining to Ava. And I'm like, I'm coming up, I'm like, Ava, it's 68 cents. What if we just walk out, and as we walk out, I just hand whoever's there, I just Walmart vest, I'll just hand them a dollar, right? That's, that's even more. I'm paying $2, $5, $10, I don't care. She's like, Dad, we don't need to do it. We're just going to wait in line. And I'm just, I'm just, oh, I'm just in such a bad mood. And Ava's trying to pep talk me, right? She's like, Dad, you should be positive. I said, I am positive. I'm positive that this is awful. I'm positive that Walmart doesn't have enough employees. I'm positive. I just started, right? And she's just like rolling her eyes at me. And she, Dad, Dad. And so finally, I, y'all would be so proud of me. I said, Ava, you know what I am happy about? I'm happy that Walmart is providing me an opportunity to be a little Little, have a little quality time with my favorite middle daughter. I found it. I finally, it took me forever, y'all, but I finally found it. By then, I was at the front of the line. I paid the 68 cents, and I stormed out of there, all right? <laughs> I'm not ever coming to this Walmart again. <laughs> I struggle with this. In fact, to the point that I was like, do I even put this in my message? Because these are the things that I don't like to tell you because then you hold them against me. These are the things that when I tell you today when I get on my American Airlines flight, my family is going to remind me to complain less. I promise you. It's, it's, it's already coming. I've been, I've been getting ready for this all week. I'm getting ready. I'm, I don't know. Someone asked me today, when are you planning to come home? I said, well, I am planning to come home next Saturday, but I don't know what American Airlines is planning. All right. <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to try. All right. I, Jason Dickinson, am making a promise to complain slightly less this week than normal. <laughs> Are y'all going to help me? Are y'all with me? When it comes to the comparison game, we start looking at what someone else has. We start complaining. It sours our hearts. It, it turns us. It turns us away, and it, it, becomes, it becomes very destructive. This is why Philippians chapter 2 Verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. I've been memorizing that verse this week. Here's the antidote for complaining. Number four, very practical, celebrate more. Celebrate more. So I'm, I'm actually thinking of it in terms of comparison. When you see someone else who's succeeding, rather than compare yourself to them and allow envy to creep into your heart, try celebrating their success. Celebrate their new house. Celebrate their new car. By the way, did y'all see Tyler's new truck? It is awesome. It really is. I'm so happy for him. I don't know if y'all know this. His truck got stolen while we were doing our Easter egg hunt. Did y'all know about this? From our church parking lot. Can you believe that? 
Yeah, it was awful. But the insurance way overpaid him because that's the blessing of the Lord. And he got a new truck this week. I'm so proud. Tyler, I'm celebrating your new truck. I am so excited for you. I'm trying, I'm trying right now, practicing what I'm preaching. Celebrate someone else's promotion at work. What do we do when someone gets a promotion at work? Well, why, I didn't, why didn't I get that? I've been here longer. I didn't get a raise. I didn't get promoted that fast. What in the world? Right? Try celebrating, right? You know what I did this week? I celebrated the stranger uh, on the running trail and his new, his new hokas. After I complained, I turned my heart and I celebrated his new hokas. Try celebrating someone else's success. Practice gratitude for what you do have, for what the Lord has blessed you and your family with. And then here's a last little piece of this. It's a, it's a way to shift your thinking specifically. I want you to put the filter of your family in this verse. Philippians chapter 4 verse 8. You've probably heard this. It says, finally brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. Think about such things. Now just lay that verse over your family, your marriage, your kids, your finances, your work. And and instead of thinking about all the things you don't have and you wish it were, think about all the things in your family that are right, that are noble, that are worthy, that are lovely, that are excellent, that are praiseworthy. Think about those things. So how do we live a different way? Let me end by giving you one. I just Those are more practical. Now here's the spiritual component. How do we live a different way? It really comes down. I'm just going to give you one, just kind of one phrase. And here it is. Embrace God's plan for my family. Embrace God's plan for my family. I love how the message version reads 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. It says this, And don't be wishing you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Isn't that beautiful? I'm telling you today, God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your family. And the plan for your family might be slightly different than the plan he has for my family or for your neighbor's family or for your friend's family. And instead of getting all wrapped up in, I wish I had what they have, embrace God's plan for your family. Why don't you stand with me? I have one more verse and then worship team is going to lead us in one final song today. Paul Pray, the Apostle Paul prayed this prayer, and you know, I've been praying this over my own life, over your life this week. I, I like telling you what I've been praying for you. Paul prayed this prayer in the book of Ephesians. We read about it, chapter 1, verse 17. We know it's a prayer, excuse me, because he says, I ask the God, our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory. So he's, he's letting us know, here's what I've been praying for you. To make you intelligent and discerning in knowing him personally. Your eyes focused and clear. And I underline this part of the prayer. So that you can see exactly what it is that he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of his glorious way of life that he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy 
boundless strength. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? So I've been praying, you didn't know it, but I've been praying for you this week. The same prayer. I've been using Paul's prayer and just praying over your family. I mean, I've literally take, taken this prayer, said, Lord, I'm praying for families at harvest that you would make them intelligent and discerning and knowing you personally. It all starts with knowing Jesus personally. I, I don't know if you know him personally today or not. I hope that you do. And if you don't, I'm going to give you a chance in just a minute because it's the easiest thing. It's not complicated. You don't have to go to seminary and get a degree. You don't have to, you don't have to learn Greek or Hebrew or any. You just, all, all you do is Romans tells us that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And every one of us, every one of us that call this our home church, we've had this moment where we've realized that we can't live this life on our own. And we've called out. We just said, Jesus, will you help me? Will you save me? Will you, will you rescue me? Will you come in to my life? And that's the moment. So I've been praying that you would know the Lord personally, that your eyes would be focused and clear so you can know exactly what God is calling you to do. I'm telling you, God has a plan for your family. And I've been praying that if you don't know what that is, that he would make it known that you would be clear in what God's called you. I'm just telling you, there is nothing like watching a family live on purpose. I, I don't mean just like a husband or a wife. I mean, I mean, I'm talking a family living on purpose, with purpose, knowing every day matters. God has called us. He put us in this neighborhood. He called us to this school. He called me to this job. He put me with these friends. He put me in this family. Like when all of that culminates into living the purpose of God, you don't even have time to worry about what the Joneses are doing because you're too busy living your own life. So I've been praying that for you this week that you would discover the plan of God for your family. And I love how he ends this, because you know my philosophy is that if you're not having fun following Jesus, you're not doing it right, and it's not God's fault, it's your fault. And I love how Paul ends this, because it's not like, I'm praying that you discover God's call, because, oh man, what a burden. It is going to be so hard, and you're just going to have to, you're just going to have to endure the call of God in your life. No, he ends, and he says, it's immense, it's glorious. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in those who trust in him. Endless energy, boundless strength. It's like, this is the kind of life you want to sign up for. Isn't that awesome? So I've been praying that for you that you wouldn't have time or energy to look at what your neighbors have or you don't have or what they're doing or what you don't. You just, you just get busy living the life that God has created for you to live. Doesn't that sound fun? Anyone want to live that kind of a life? So our worship team, why don't y'all come? They're going to lead us in a final song and I'm going to come back up. I want to pray for you before we dismiss today. And I want us to embrace the plan that God has for each and every one of our lives. Worship team, help us. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Fellowship Podcast. For more information, visit harvestabq.org.